don't think I need this microphone because my voice is uh, loud already. <laughs> but anyway, our subject matter for today is about the antitome. And I do not know if you heard this sermon already, but uh, only few preachers actually are bringing this issue because there are some critical scholars who do not believe in the empty tomb. But uh, I would say that uh, let's try to study this message. What is exactly that uh, the first fruits of these Christians believe in this so-called empty tomb. And this is exactly our uh, topic for today. We are still continuing the theme of the month, which is good news. But before we proceed, let's bow our, uh, bow our heads for a prayer. Our most gracious God and loving Father, this morning, we thank thee for gathering us once again in this place to continuously praise thee, lifting up your name, so that by your grace, we grow in your faith. We pray for our brethren who are not with us today. Wherever they are, Lord, protect them, God. Watch them over. And if they are on the way going to this place, guide them, O God, to arrive here safely. We pray also for our loved ones back in our own places. Bless them, O God. And we ask thy protection. Keep them always safe from any harms and danger. I pray, O God, for this congregation. Give them understanding. Open their minds so that they would be able to comprehend thy word. And keep me, O Lord, at the back of thy cross, so that only Christ should be lifted up. In Jesus' name. Yes, Amen. 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 So we will be talking this morning about the empty tomb. <clears throat> With our month theme, which is the good news. But, let me try this. Yeah, all right. So it's on the right side, which is for going forward. Now, how I structured this message for today could be seen in this monitor. So we have this power text which is found in Romans 10.9, which was just uh, read by Brother Craig. And we have this introduction regarding the good news. And we have to ponder on key, key points. We have two fundamental things that needs to be considered. PowerPoint number one, we will be knowing about the four historical facts that prove Jesus rose from the dead. And namely, number one, the honorable, uh, honorable burial of Jesus. Number two, the discovery of his empty tomb. Number three, the post-mortem appearances of Jesus. And number four is the origin of the disciples' belief. And PowerPoint number two, how do we best explain the facts? 
For the best explanation of this fact is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And to conclude the whole matter, let's talk about the relevance of Christ's resurrection to us. And maybe I would make some appeal. We are now one year in this church. I have not ever made an appeal to you. But maybe this time let's try and let's see what we can discuss for today. Let's go to the power text. It says in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Amen. This is a very straightforward statement of Paul that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now let's go to the introduction. How good is the good news? Now other people would say that the good news is good only when it fits or suits what they want. Otherwise people would say that good news would not be a good news if they do not like even if that is good. I was still in college at my time when I was teaching professional ethics and work ethics. It says that we can say a thing is good if it has an intrinsic value in it. And that is really good. But there are some who believe for them good is a relative word. Only when that suits or fits what they want, that is to them become good. Now, the last time I talked about Naaman in seeking uh, Second Kings, chapter five, verses uh, one to eleven. You remember that Naaman was a valiant soldier, but the problem of this man is that he is suffering from leprosy. You have remembered the time, Second Kings five one to eleven. It says that now, Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given him victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had a leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. 
Now you can see now that this little girl who was taken captive from Israel that was brought to the Ammon's house, he professed because she saw, I should say, she saw that there is a prophet in Samaria who could heal Naaman from his leprosy. And Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said, by all men's go, the king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, this is the letter. With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may, you may cure him of his leprosy. This is the message. Now, I do not know how this message came to this king of Israel as to how he responded it. Now, we can see if this is a good news or what is it to him. Uh, but according to the message, I mean, according to verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. So this is exactly how the king of Israel responded to the letter sent by the king of Aram. To him, this sounds no good. But on the part of Naaman, this sounds very good. Why? Because he wants to be rid of his leprosy. And therefore, he believed on what the little girl from Israel said, that if only Naaman could go to Samaria, there was a prophet coming from God, which he could cure of his leprosy. But you could see now the reaction of the king of Israel. He tore his robes and said, Am I God? So I don't think so that the letter is actually pertaining to this king because maybe the letter is, with, is not for him but for the purpose of uh, recognizing his kingship over Israel, the king of Aram sent Naaman to him with a letter. In verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent, he sent him this message, Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So, Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go! Wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. So this is how the prophet responded to the message of Naaman. He told Naaman, 
to go to the Jordan River and wash himself seven times. Now, how does Naaman reacted to the statement or to the word of the prophet Elisha? Was it good to his hearing or not? He wants to get rid of his leprosy, but the problem is he is not willing to take a bath or dip himself into a Jordan River. Why? But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana in Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went up in a rage. So the good news to Naaman this time becomes no good to him at all. Now you see, this is exactly what we are saying that a good news is good only when it fits in such your requirements. Otherwise, the good news will that become good if that is not fit to what you want. So this is exactly what we are talking about, good news. Now what happened then? Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then, when he tells you was in be cleansed, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became, became clean like that of a young boy. So you see, he needs somebody to tell Naaman. If not by his servants, he would not go to Jordan River and bat himself or dip himself to get what he wants. So this is exactly what is happening to us, isn't it? God maybe has a purpose to us, but maybe we think that the way of God is not our way. We do not want that the way of God should become ours. We want it in our own way, which is not correct. Let us submit to God for what we want. And God, according to what we read in the song, God will supply all our needs. Amen. So this is exactly what happened. Maybe Naaman who is doubting if I will dip myself into a Jordan River, that river is a very dirty river. Well, in Damascus, there are so many rivers where I can dip and bat myself. Why here? But because of his servant was asking him, why not? If the prophet is telling you some great things, why don't you do it? Let's try. So maybe Naaman was convinced and he dipped himself. Maybe one again, after dipping himself once, he may have looked into his leprosy. One. Oops. It's not. Nothing has happened to my leprosy. So maybe he takes another one, two, and look at himself again. 
But because there was no response to his leprosy, I do not know what Naaman thinks. Because according to the prophet, you have to bat yourself or dip yourself seven times. Maybe the am. Naaman was thinking, let me try it once more. So dip it for the third time. Nothing is going on. So I would think, I would see Naaman that he gets frustrated why he was taking a bath in a Jordan River which is very dirty to him. But anyway, he might be convinced to dip once more for the fourth time. He dipped himself and then rise from the water looking at himself and there was nothing happened. Make it five, six, and on the seventh, God made this big miracle to Naaman and he read of his leprosy so his flesh exactly became like that of a young boy. And this is exactly what happened to Naaman. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. After he was restored by his leprosy, Naaman in, his, in all his attendants went back to the man of God, to Elisha the prophet. He stood before him and said, Now, I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Now, Naaman now, recognizing that he was well, he is offering gift to the prophet of Israel. This may be Naaman recognized that God has blessed him or that God has blessed his life. Now the problem may be to our brethren, to all of us maybe. The problem is when God gives his blessings to us, we are not prepared to actually hold the blessings of God. The problem is, God is pouring out blessings for us to become a channels of blessing to others. The problem is, this blessings now is, is stacked in our hands. And we are not sharing the blessings to others. That is exactly the problem. Now you could recognize that Naaman now, after receiving blessings from the, from the Lord, he went back to the prophet of Israel in giving his offer. But what the prophet says, the prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much, as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but to the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for, his, for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Brimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have bowed there also. When I bow down in the temple of Brimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. And Elisha was telling him, go in peace. Elisha said. So this is how people responded to a good news. 
see? But that is just an introduction. We are not yet dealing with the whole or the body of this message. Let's talk about 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 15. Let's talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. According to Paul, Paul was telling us, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By the gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So now, Paul was telling the Corinthians people that he was actually preaching the gospel. The gospel is actually the good news. And what is exactly this gospel? What is this good news? For what I receive, I pass on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day. According to the scriptures. So this is what Paul is saying. That he received it first and then passed it on to you. To the Corinthian people. Maybe I would say. If I am Paul telling you now, as a church, a congregation, I received this message and I am now passing it on to you. But what is this message? According to Paul, this is with first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That's number one. That he was raised on the third day. According to the scriptures. This burial of Jesus Christ. In the resurrection. Proves. The empty tomb. But what it says. On the next verse. And that he appeared to Cephas. And then to the twelve. After that. He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now this is what really fulfilled, felt about himself. That he may not be fit to become an apostle. With his humility, he do not even want to recognize to be called as an apostle. Why? Because at first, Paul has persecuted the church of God. You remember, brothers and sisters, during our meeting, brethren, the first meeting that we had, I told you that if there is only a way that I can surrender the ordination that has done to me, I would do so. Why? Because I feel that I am not fulfilling the commission of God. 
And this is exactly what uh, Paul feels about what he did during the time of his persecution to the church of God. In verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I work harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. So this is exactly the message of Paul that we are going to talk today. Now, going back to the text, in verse 1 and 2, the gospel that was preached by Paul to the Corinth was received and made them stand into. How is it to us? Do we receive the good news that the Bible is telling us that we, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we will be saved. Amen. If we receive this and stand to it, salvation is guaranteed to each one of us. Amen. And likewise, that the Corinthians people hold on. In fact, according to verse 1 and 2, they received and made them stand unto this gospel. In verse 3 and 4, the content of the gospel falls was, it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is somehow, somewhere foretold by Isaiah in Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is the prophecy written by Isaiah regarding the crucifixion of our Christ, Jesus. See, it has been foretold long ago before the suffering of Christ. And the only objective of this is to save mankind from sin. You see how God loved us so much? That even his own begotten son, he offered his life to the cross only to save us from our sin. Now looking into the passages which we had just read, Paul is actually establishing historical evidence of Jesus' resurrection. In which case, there were two fundamental things that we need to consider. And that is exactly what we are talking about now. Number two, there are four, I mean, number one, there are historical facts must be explained by any adequate historical hypothesis. That is Jesus' burial. Number two, the discovery of his empty tomb, his post-mortem appearances, 
and the origin of the disciples' belief in his resurrection. And number two, the best explanation of this fact is that God raised Jesus from the dead. Why? Because it has great explanatory scope and it has great explanatory power and it is plausible. Now that fact number one, after his or Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus was buried by Joseph of Arimathea. And, but who is this Joseph of Arimathea? In Marcian account we read, in Mark 15:42 to 43, it was preparation day that, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. This is the Marcian account, independent of other Gospels. So, in Mark's account, he talks about Joseph of Arimathea, who is a prominent mon uh, member of the council. In Luke's account of the narrative, in Luke 23, 50 to 51, now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now these two narratives, which is independent of the other, talks about Joseph of Arimathea, that Joseph of Arimathea is a member of the council of the Sanhedrin. So Joseph of Arimathea, according to Teresa Doyle Nelson, he was rich, distinguished, courageous, virtuous, and righteous, are words in the gospel to describe Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea was actually a member of the Sanhedrin the council or court that condemned Jesus. You see, this man has a stand or has a power in himself because he is a member of the Sanhedrin. In the Philippines, we have the so-called Supreme Court that stands is uh, likely to the, uh, to the Sanhedrin, which is the court or the councils in Israel. And therefore, we could say, that this man, Joseph of Arimathea, he has something value in himself. He is regarded by people as a high or, or with high regard. Because according to the distinction, I mean to the, to the description in the Bible, he was a righteous man. And he did not concede to the decision of the council. This is Joseph of Arimathea. Some assert that the roots of the Sanhedrin go all the way back to the time of Moses in Numbers 11, 16 to 25. Its role was to uphold Jewish laws. And Joseph lived the way a Sanhedrin member was supposed to, as an earnest seeker to obtrude a virtue that brought him to believe in all Jesus stood for. However, Joseph heard ostracism from his fellow councils members. And so he initially kept his following of Jesus, a secret. However, when the Sanhedrin met about and denounced Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea expressed an opposition to their stand. 
This is Joseph of Arimathea. Who talks or who takes care the honorable burial of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus' burial is multiply attested in early independent sources. As I have told you, there are so many independent, uh, independent sources. Like for example in the book of Mark. In the book of Luke. In the gospel of John. In the gospel of Matthew. All of these are pointing or telling us the burial of Jesus Christ. And no doubt, it was actually proved by those people during the time of Jesus Christ that he was dead and buried. And therefore, this kind of action cannot be denied. We could only affirm what had happened during the time pass that there were somehow, somewhere, there was a Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, died, and buried. Fact number two. On the Sunday after the crucifixion, Jesus' tomb was found empty by a group of his women believers or followers. The historical reliability of the burial story supports the empty tomb. The empty tomb is multiplied attested by independent early sources, which is the poor gospel. Aside from that, there is a record in Acts. In also Paul, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, as we have studied, he also testified about the burial, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The tomb was discovered empty by the woman. And the earliest Jewish polemic presupposes the empty tomb in Matthew 28. Remember in Matthew 28, the guard of the tomb of Jesus was trying to fabricate a story. Matthew 28, 11 to 15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. And when the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. You see that? So the soldier took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day, according to the record of Matthew and 28. Matthew 28. So, you see, this only proves that Jesus' death and burial is true. Why? Because the guards actually are trying to fabricate a story to counterfeit the claim of the apostles that Christ has risen from the dead. And fact number three, on different occasions and under various circumstances, different individuals and groups of people experience appearances of Jesus alive from the dead. Paul's list of eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection appearances guarantees 
that such appearances occurred. And the appearance narratives in the Gospels provide multiple independent attestation of the appearances. So there were many appearances that Jesus had shown himself. And last of all, according to Paul, Jesus showed himself to him. Now, facts number four. The original disciples suddenly and sincerely came to believe that Jesus was risen from the dead, despite their having every predisposition to the contrary. They can even tell, I mean, they can even keep silence if Jesus was not actually risen from the dead. And the people of Israel could show to the whole earth that Christ is, is still in his tomb. But the fact is, that tomb of Jesus Christ was found empty by women. And that has been proved by his resurrection when Christ showed himself to so many people. Their leader was dead. Imagine to that. If the narrative is true, in the news that, what, that was spreading by his disciple is not true, they could have just kept quiet. Why? Because their leader was dead. But the Jewish beliefs about the early, the afterlife precluded anyone's rising from the dead to glory in immortality before the general resurrection of the dead at the end of the world. Now, we come to a question. How do we best explain the fact? Well, the best explanation of this fact is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that is the only plausible thing that we could say that Christ has risen, has risen from the dead because they found out that the tomb was empty and that Jesus Christ had appeared to many people to prove that he resurrected from the dead. According to Dr. Darrell Book, uh, Dr. Darrell Book, the New Testament professor of Dallas Theological Seminary, it says, God has provided a way to come into your life forever. Not as a ticket, but into relationship. And he has provided the way to that relationship through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not only the sacrifice for sins, but provision of his very own spirit coming into your life so that you can relate to God. And the good news is that God is committed to that relationship. That he sent his only begotten son to die, that it might take place. And the only requirement is for you to believe that it has done it for you. In faith, you ask that relationship through Jesus Christ. So, how do we conclude? The whole matter. The whole matter. Now, we may ask the question, but what makes it all the difference if Jesus rose from the dead? What is the impact of his resurrection? Does it make any sense to us that Jesus rose from the dead 
In Romans 3.23 it says, All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all have the same sin problem that must be dealt with. No one is righteous. All have sinned and come short to the glory of God. John 8.58 Christ's resurrection validates and proves his claim that he is the I am. For he said, before Abraham was, I am. John 8.24 And Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. His resurrection from the dead proves that he was telling the truth when he claimed to be God. His resurrection from the dead offers you hope that even when time comes, comes you to die, Jesus will deliver and give eternal life to you. If you, come, if you came and place your faith in him. 1 Peter 2.24 Peter said, He himself bore our sins in his body while on the cross. But Jesus said himself, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those which are lost. That is in Luke 19.10 Now, let me finish the talk by citing a famous poem which became a hit song of the past. There were three characters who wrote the poem. One is Mary Stevenson by 1936. Another one is Caroline Carty by 1963. And another one is Margaret Fishback Powers by 1964. These three actually, when I was searching the internet who actually authored this poem, they have given me three options. As I have told you, Mary Stevenson, 1936. Caroline Carty, 1963. Margaret Fishback Powers, 1964. But I quote Margaret Fishback Powers, 1964. The poem which became a hit song, The Footprints, which is also known as I Had a Dream. It's the footprints in the sand. Let me tell you about this thing. One night, I dreamed a dream. I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky, flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonging to me and one to my Lord. When the last scene of my life flashed before me, I look back at the footprints in the sand. There was only one set of footprints, and I realized that this was at the lowest and saddest times of my life. This always bothered me, and I questioned the Lord about my dilemma. <coughs> Lord, you told me when I decided to follow you, you would walk and talk with me all the way. But I'm aware that during the most troublesome times of my life, there is only one set of footprints. I just don't understand why. When I need you most, you leave me. And what the poems says, 
he whispered, My precious child, I love you and never, will never leave you. Never ever during your trials and testing, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was them that I carried you. I was actually touched by this poem, which becomes a hit song. And whenever I read and remember the song, tears actually falls from my eyes. We never realized that during the times in our life, during the times of troubles, we simply say we forgot, we are forgotten by God. But the fact is, He's always there for you and me. And if you see yourself as with this guy, he was only seeing one footprint in the sands. He was actually recognizing himself that it was, it was his. And God was not there. But it was a false, false claim, I should say. Because it says that it was then that I carried you. And there is, that is why there is just one footprint in the sand. I would like to make an appeal to you today. Is there anybody here who has not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior? This is now the time. I would tell you. Many things would happen into our life. We do not know. Today, we are enjoying life. Tomorrow, we do not know what will happen. If you feel the necessity of coming to Christ today, it's the time. And if you have not accepted Christ, I would urge you to accept him now by standing. You may stand to show yourself you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And those who has, who has accepted Christ already as their Lord and Savior, may you want to renew your commitment to Him by accepting Him again as His Lord and Master of your life. You may so please stand if you acknowledge that he is calling you. I would like to lead you into a prayer. God is so good. God is so nice to us. God has even sent his only begotten son to the cross. Only for one thing, to get rid of our sins. And so that we become righteous in the sight of the Father. So let's pray. Our most gracious God and Heavenly Father. Today, we are renewing our commitment to you again. 
We are accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior. The master in the master in the finisher and the author of our faith. We thank you, Lord, for cleansing us of our sins. We thank you for the blood that sheds on the Calvary. And now we claim that you have given us permission to become thy sons. We thank you for the life and strength that you have given us. Make this Ugad a part to do thy work. We submit ourselves to you. Be our God and tell us and we will go whatever you want. Lord, thank you for all the things that you have given us, the blessings that you have given to us, to each one of us. We praise you, Lord. We are giving back the glory and we are lifting your name. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. amen.